0: Good evening and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website, online at independent.org. That's I N D Y P E N D E N T dot O R G. Our new issue is out on the streets and our red and white uh, news boxes, also in public libraries, independent bookstores, cafes, and various other places. And I'm joined today from Cairo, Egypt, by my co host, Amma Gagarian.
1: Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org.
0: We have another fantastic show in the works today. We're going to speak with Kristen Gonzalez, a newly sworn in state senator. She is now the youngest female state senator in New York history, and she is a socialist
1: we'll talk about some important local news developments john and i are following and later in the show we'll open the phone lines and take calls from listeners
0: but first amba you're in the middle of a two-month visit to your extended family in egypt what is it like in cairo the capital city that is home to 23 million people where you recently set foot
1: yeah, well, absolutely. Um, it's very interesting here for a variety of reasons. Uh, my grandfather is uh from Cairo, uh, born in Giza, the where the pyramids are. So, yeah, twenty-three million people. It's felt. I think the city was originally built for eight million, so it's very crowded here, but it's not insanely crowded. You know, it's still like any other city where y- you have in. Uh, their version of outer boroughs just a few people on the street at any given time it's interesting it has a reputation in the middle east and and i guess other parts of the world as basically another city that another that never sleeps and actually they call it the big mango sometimes <laughs> um and it is that it might even beat new york as the city that never sleeps people are up at all hours of the night you know, doing regular things, like buying groceries, things like this. Um, uh, and there's always traffic. There's many cars here and, and the situation with the traffic is crazy because it's some miracle that, or good driving that, that there's not accidents all the time. I think I saw one fender bender in the, at this point, I've been here. Right. Cause there's uh,
0: like no lanes or traffic lights hardly.
1: Yeah, I've seen one fender bender in the 4 weeks I've been here and there are no lanes there are there are a very 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 few traffic lights. Uh, sometimes there are traffic police directing traffic like we have in New York um so it's 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 jumble and uh you know you have highs and lows you have you can feel here i mean you can see in the building i'm staying in i'm in the 20th floor and you can see the the pyramids from the building so that's there and the ancient history is felt um among the people and the culture and then also constant sort of reminders of this history so it's not like being even in Europe where uh sure you, you know you have this this contrast with the states where you're like, oh, these buildings are clearly just much older than you know buildings that have that exist in the States. No, this is like a whole nother level. Like we were talking ancient civilization. Uh so it's really interesting and it's really beautiful. And uh I it's something that I that has been sort of not mind-boggling, but uh in some ways reaffirming actually, is the the uh advanced level uh in some ways of the ancient Egyptians. Tutankhamun used a condom. I saw a photo of it. <laughs> um and there were other forms of birth control, uh which is really interesting. Back then in some of the temples I went into, there are uh writing and etchings on the wall and hieroglyphics for different medicines and cures for things and people could go and read them and then, you know, spread that knowledge to their village. And uh, I think I'll end on this for now because we have a very exciting show ahead of us. But Egyptians do not like it at all when people suggest that the pyramids were um, made by aliens or some other conspiracy theory. There's plenty of proof that they were made by egyptians so yeah so that's yeah. that's my back for now
0: <laughs> labor gets it done and uh, don't believe every <laughs> conspiracy theory you hear
1: yes and it wasn't all slave labor either but maybe we'll get more into that later but there's like plenty of workers tombs and stuff like that not to deny that slavery existed but that's also a myth i'm going to talk about the fact that i have been following the news in new york Constantly, as I always do. And later in the show, I'm going to talk about some developments from the Amazon Labor Union, um, which uh, is, is uh are positive developments, uh, which is great. And uh meanwhile, John, you've been following the beginning of a new session of the New York State Legislature.
0: That's right. The state legislature reconvened for a new session earlier this month. Uh, so much of what happens in Albany determines what happens in New York, so much of our politics is controlled uh, by the state government. And between now and the end of March, the legislature and the governor will be working on the annual state budget of more than $200 billion that touches all of our lives, for better or worse. And other big initiatives often get rolled into the final budget deal. Um and, of course, there are a lot of unmet needs in this state around affordable housing, mass transit, expanding renewable energy, full funding for CUNY and SUNY, and much more. Advocates were busy making their voices la- heard last week at the beginning of the session. Here are clips from a- advocates, uh, first from the Housing Justice for All Coalition, and then supporters of mass transit.
2: doesn't come, the R train doesn't come, the F train doesn't come. That ain't right. It's not right. Tell them. That ain't right. So it's really simple. Buses and subways cost money. If we want buses and subways to come every six minutes, we got to pay for it. And there's nothing better for working New Yorkers, working families, our environment, street safety. Than a fully funded bus and subway network. Let's get 6 minutes
1: Let's get back Let's Yesterday, we spoke with State Senator Kristen Gonzalez. She represents State District 59 which runs down the East River from Astoria to Williamsburg and also includes a part of Manhattan's East Side. She is the third Democratic Socialist State Senator to be elected in New York since 2018. And at 27 years old, she is the youngest woman ever elected to the New York State Senate.
0: During our conversation, Gonzalez, a former tech worker, spoke about her passion for reining in the surveillance state as the new chair of the Senate Tech Committee. Uh, she also spoke about the Hector LaSalle nomination, the need for sweeping legislation on housing, mass transit, the environment and more, all paid for by taxing the 1% a little bit more. And also she spoke about how she balances collaborating with her colleagues inside the state Senate and with her comrades in the Democratic Socialists of America, of which she is a member. Senator Kristen Gonzalez, welcome back to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. It's great to have you here with myself and my co-host, Amiga Garian.
1: It's really great to be here. Thank you both for having me. So tell us, Kristen, congratulations as well. Tell us what your top priorities are moving forward now that, now that you're in office.
3: That's a great question because we just got our committee assignments at the beginning of session. So. I am the new chair of the Senate Internet and Technology Committee, which is really exciting for me as someone who was a tech worker and also organizing in the tech space around things like privacy and surveillance technology. So really bringing our democratic socialist values to that committee to protect all New Yorkers and ensure that we're holding law enforcement account- accountable for how they're using surveillance technology, ensuring that our privacy rights and our Fourth Amendment rights are protected and that, you know, the city is, you know, safer and our democracy is stronger when we really have progressive tech policy that puts New Yorkers first and puts our rights first. So that'll be a major priority. We also launched um, or announced our first bill, uh, which was, you know, the uh, basically essentially a bill that, in coordination with the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project and the Privacy New York Coalition, closes a loophole that law, law enforcement currently has where they can take any of our personal data from things from like Omni or libraries without a warrant. And so our bill closes that loophole, um, and I'm excited to have launched that within the first couple of weeks. Um, a second priority and third, of course, not in the order of how important they are, but we will be working on housing. We will be working on passing good conviction and ensuring that our state is truly deeply affordable. And similarly, we ran on climate, right? So climate is a priority. Um, and I'm very lucky because in addition to chairing the internet Tech Committee, I'm sitting on the Energy and Telecommunications Committee. So I'll get the chance to pass BPRA again or the Build Public Renewables Act again. Um, I'm on the disability Committee on um, Transportation. So we'll be looking at fixing the MTA. And I am also on ethics and com- uh, ethics, and then also consumer protection. So a lot of exciting committees, a lot of exciting priorities, and I just feel very grateful for the chance to to work on all of these with the other democratic socialists in, in
0: Albany. Yeah, just to follow up about the, the tech committee you're on and, and uh, uh, law enforcement and its surveillance powers, uh, here in New York City, Mayor Adams has been very aggressive about uh, saying that he wants to really ex- sort of expand the surveillance state uh in the city more cameras on the streets some more drones uh, flying over the city uh, and and who knows what else uh, do you see your work on that committee and is in some way uh, a, a check on uh, what the mayor might have in mind and it is it possible to check him from albany
3: well i think on the state level we have the opportunity to set really clear guidelines across levels of government. So this loophole I talked about also applies to the city level. So we're closing it on multiple levels of government. Um, You know, we are seeing the surveillance state expand and it's not only an issue of one elected one seat like the mayor, but it's an issue that's industry-wide and statewide. And so if we can really take the lead as New York and not be so reactive in our policy, but really be proactive and say, this is what protecting our privacy means for New Yorkers, then we're really putting ourselves in a good position to, you know, challenge any um, overstep or abuse of this type of technology from law enforcement or from any private entity um, or even individuals. You know, what comes to mind is what happened this week with billionaire James Dolan at Madison Square Garden. He was using surveillance technology, specifically facial recognition, to chuck every single person who came into Madison Square Garden for an event and specifically kick out any lawyer that was part of a firm that was involved in a lawsuit against the garden. And that's a clear abuse that, you know, not only we're seeing a, the wealthy play by different rules, but also a clear abuse that anyone else could do. So we need to set a standard. We need to say that that's not allowed. Um And I was really proud to stand with, you know, legislators from, you know, both chambers, the assembly and the Senate in a press conference yesterday and really call on on him to stop abusing surveillance technology and, and targeting people with it.
1: Right. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it's real and um, it, it is frightening. And uh, we see it also with the consolidation of Facebook and Instagram into meta and Twitter under Elon Musk and years ago, the NYPD using facial recognition, which they still do. So I'm really happy that you're here to fight that because we need it. It's very, very modern struggle. And another thing that unfortunately is becoming sort of unavoidable is the housing crisis and the housing crisis that already existed before COVID and has been uh, made worse with rents skyrocketing. So going into a new session, um, it's likely that good cause eviction bill will be back on the table, which would protect tenants in New York from basically uh, being evicted for no reason and protect a certain level of uh, rate hikes, sort of unreasonable rent hikes. Uh, what what are plans around this and other housing issues?
3: Yeah. So housing is front and center for my district. I have three boroughs in my district. I have Queens in Astoria, Long Island City, Brooklyn in and Greenpoint, and Williamsburg. And in Manhattan, we have Stytown all the way up to where the UN is. We have Gramercy, Kips Bay, uh, Murray Hill and when i list those neighborhoods i am sure what comes to mind for all new Yorkers we're talking about very expensive real estate we're talking about some areas areas that are rapidly gentrifying um you know rapidly developing and i'm excited to take that fight up at the state level it's what we ran on when we were talking to tenants and organizing with tenants around this campaign and and why we didn't take a dime from real estate um but really take up that fight with you know, passing the good cause eviction bill so that people can stay in their homes and not have not only unjust evictions, right? If you're a good tenant, you should be able to stay in your home, but also, um, you know, prevent these astronomical increases that are equivalent to an eviction, right? When you have hundreds of dollars added to your lease, when it's being renewed, for New Yorkers, you know, most of us are scraping by. We can't afford that. So that's one bill that's trying to target um affordability, but there's so much more. The Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act. Um, we're looking at ensuring that we are, you know, pushing back on 421A or any replacement programs like 45W, which is, you know, tax incentives for these luxury developments across the district. And even more than that, when we talk about housing in in you know across the boroughs and from what I've seen, as a democratic socialist, we're really centering housing as a human right, it was incredible to hear the governor use those same words. So I'm glad we agree that housing is a human right, but how we go about it, setting a standard for how we go about it and what truly deeply affordable housing means, that is where we need to continue to organize on the outside and organize in Albany because we cannot just sell out our communities to luxury real estate developments and hope that the market will heal itself. No, we need to keep people in their homes and we need to not just focus on commodifying this human right. You cannot, you should not be commodifying human rights, ensuring that we are actually uh, pushing back on our current commodification of housing with real social housing alternatives.
0: Right. And, uh, uh, it had a big victory in your district uh, just recently when uh, the tenants at uh, Stytown Peter Cooper Village prevailed in a long legal battle against the uh, Blackstone Corporation.
3: I'm so glad you brought that up. So for folks who may not be familiar with uh, this lawsuit that has been ongoing, Stytown has one of the largest shares of rent stabilized units in the entire city. Right. And they were. Uh, after being bought by Blackstone, they were at risk of destabilizing almost 6,200 units um, because of essentially a, you know, a, the J51 tax program. But in court, this win actually ruled that Stytown was in the right. That these units, those 6,200, remain stabilized, and is a huge victory not only for Stytown, right, but for tenants everywhere because they took on one of the richest uh, companies in the entire world. And they won in court and if we can do that here to protect our, our tenants, I think we can do that anywhere. So, so excited to have that in district and there was a lot of celebration happening the last week <laughs> for
1: a movement. A lot of times movement, grassroots elected officials can lose their base because of the go along, get along way that politics works in New York and beyond, whether it's being you know bought out on some things with landlords or construction or reelection favors for other elected. So how do you plan to navigate that?
3: Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction. You know, we may move as a Democratic body, but not all Democrats are created equal. And essentially, you know, Democrat as a Democratic Socialist, we're very clear about who we're accountable to and who we're working with. So I didn't take, you know, I mentioned this, I didn't take a dollar from real estate or corporations or PAC money in the primary. That's going to continue to be the same because there's no way that I can take that money and be accountable to the district. In addition, the way that we organize our district office is different. We really believe in focusing on constituent services, um, engaging community organizations across the district to really create a stronger sense of community and not just provide real material gains for working people, but to build power and build our base. So even in office, we're using this as a way to redistribute the power away from just, it's more than just me, one seat, one person, right? It's how do I use this office to redistribute that power to my constituents, right? To have them be as, you know, the, the guiding uh, voice and factor in how I legislate. And then also, um, how do I work within the socialist in office block, which is now at eight, up from six with myself and Sarah Hanna. How do we work together to push a really clear agenda that focuses on taxing the rich, that focuses on housing and housing protections, on climate justice, on criminal justice, on really just material gains, like I said, for working class, black and brown workers. Um, so that will not change. Um, but as a, as, as a legislator, I think the inside-outside approach, now going from an organizer on the outside to being on the inside, my job is to bring that, push that, be accountable and transparent, but also to build relationships that will help us, right, that will help us pass this legislation. And that's why, you know, like I said, I'm excited to see other Democratic senators and also even assembly members, right? My first bill is with one of my overlaps, Assembly Member Epstein, um, who, who are open to working uh, together on these.
1: And, and and the DSA actually holds its officials that are aff- yeah. official DSA public officials to pretty strict standards in order to keep running uh, on that line. Correct. Can you explain that a bit?
3: Yeah. So as I, um, you know, I, I was talking about the socialist in office block. So there used to be six. We elected two more. So now we're at eight and we meet every single week. With our representatives from chapter meetings, from branches, from working groups, and we have these conversations where we aim to vote as a block, right? So we'll have the conversation for what is best for our organization, what is best for the movement. And then not only are we, when we vote, accountable to each other, accountable to the other electeds <laughs> elected who are a nominee, but that block voting model is a way to be accountable to the larger, right? To the many. And it's, it's, it's a clear check and, and why I wanted to run for office because I believe that this way of governing also, you know, ensures that if anyone is, you know, straying from that, right? If we're not voting or going against those votes, so it is a clear way to flag that and, and, and a clear way to hold people accountable, right?
0: Right. And, um, in these last few minutes we have together, we want to ask you about a, a topic that's been mm-hmm. roiling Albany for Almost a month now, which is the nomination of Hector LaSalle to be uh, the chief judge of the New York Court of Appeals, the highest court in New York State. It's a uh, court that's ideologically divided, three to three right now. Uh, you've come out; you were the very first member of the caucus to come out in opposition to the LaSalle nomination. There's now 14 Democrats that have said they won't vote for him. Uh, can you share your thoughts on, on why you are opposing LaSalle's nomination?
3: So talk about coming out of swinging <laughs> in office. Yeah. On day one, we made it really clear that someone who has a history of conservative decisions doesn't necessarily represent New Yorkers best. And even though it would be historic to have our first Latino as a Latina legislator and as someone who is on the younger end representing the next generation of of Latinos and Latinas, of voters, I can say that this is not the type of representation we want. And to put it into context, right now, you mentioned we have that three to three divide. Adding Hector LaSalle to the court would solidify a four-judge conservative majority, which would then last until 2030. That is years of conservative decisions. And when I say conservative, I have gone back and read the cases, right? Of course, a judge in the course of his career will go ahead and and join many, many decisions. But we have seen a clear pattern. It is not cherry picking cases. When you go back, you can see him siding with, um, siding against abortion rights. You can see him siding with, um, you know, companies instead of unions, right? That's why labor has come out so against him as a pick. Um, that's why a. You know, reproductive rights activists have come out against him as a pick. You can see him ruling against youth and immigrants. There are so many decisions that are really clear that one, there is a judicial philosophy that is inherently conservative and two, something he would absolutely bring to the court. So it's a high stakes situation for all New Yorkers if we really want to protect the most vulnerable among amongst us. So while I appreciate the sentiment behind appointing a Latino what I can say is that Hochul really wants to fight for Latinos and Latinas everywhere. I would really love for her to pull that nomination or reconsider before he gets to his committee hearing this week, um, because there are some other really incredible um, and experienced and qualified people on that appellate bench um, that she had to choose from.
0: Right now uh, this weekend, uh, governor Hochul uh, was uh uh, visiting uh, churches in Latino communities uh, in New York, in the Bronx, in Sunset Park, uh, advocating uh, for Hector LaSalle. We have a clip for you to listen to of her speaking on Sunday at Trinity Church in Brooklyn, where she made an analogy uh, between supporting uh, Hector LaSalle and carrying on the legacy of Martin Luther King. We've
2: struggles throughout our history, the in the lives of people like Dr. King. My own parents were criticized for being so no far left in the service area that, that that's how I was raised. So I, so I need true. to know that about me. It's the values
1: right. that I bring to the selection process and how I found them
2: person in Hector We who well, yes will make history it's about time to stop making history it's never taken this long mm-hmm. for a person
0: to
2: call him. Mm-hmm. a Hispanic, to leave the highest
0: court in our state and he will your, your response Senator Gonzalez
3: yeah it is incredibly disappointing to hear uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy be applied to this situation um, I I I really cannot stress enough just how incorrect, not factual this is, Um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. I would encourage the governor to go back and read a letter from Birmingham jail where he cautioned against white moderates. And she talks about this issue of LaSalle being, you know, one where we're sending a man of color um, pitting him against you know other people and it's it's longer it's an unfair you know situation it's not that's not true he is getting his hearing this week but I would also say that it's not an issue of the left versus the right and we know we should be very very wary of moderates or what it means to be moderate at a time where one our Supreme Court is radical and cannot be trusted on the federal level, to have a conservative uh, highest court in New York would be an insult to all New Yorkers, an insult to everyone who's been fighting against the radical and very organized far-right agenda that is affecting the most vulnerable amongst us across the country. I think, you know, I certainly think that, you know, she goes back and really reads and takes time to reflect on MLK's words, and then also as someone who is a young person of color, she will see that the way that the justice our community needs is a court that protects our rights and not someone who has a repeated history, not just a few cases, more than a few cases, a repeated history of siding against people who are marginalized or vulnerable, the very type of the very people that MLK fought for.
1: And in our last minute together, uh, your comments on whether this is or how this is a misuse of identity politics.
2: Hmm.
3: Absolutely. It is because, you know, I, I, it's being positioned as, uh, you know, a Latino against, uh, that's being supported by the Latino community. But there was a letter of over 70 Latino and Latina electeds, community organizers across the city and state that voicing our concern about Hector LaSalle. And when you add that, to the letters that have been sent from, you know, countless law professors across the state from, again, reproductive rights advocacy, from the NAACP, mind you, the NAACP coming out against LaSalle within the last couple of days. When you add all of that together, you are, you are seeing and hearing New Yorkers most vulnerable, you are hearing the Latino and Latina community saying, we do not want Hector LaSalle, but what we're not seeing is our governor listening to us.
0: Okay, well, we'll leave it there. But uh, Kristen Gonzalez, state senator uh, from uh, Queens, Brooklyn, and a uh, part of the East Side of Manhattan, thank you for, so much for joining us uh, this uh, today on the Independent News Hour.
3: Thank you again for having me. Um, I can't wait to to talk to you again this year and reflect on how the session went.
0: <laughs> Indeed, we, we look forward to that.
1: That was State Senator Kristen Gonzalez speaking with us in a pre-recorded interview and we'll be right back with more after this short break. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI ninety nine point five FM. I'm Amie Gergarian, and I'm joined by my co-host John Tarleton. Uh, we are happy to be here, but we're having just a little bit of technical difficulty today with the sound between us and the station. In case some of our listeners are wondering, um, speaking of the station, WBAI. WBAI is. One of the only independent radio stations, if not actually the only independent radio station left on the air in New York City where you can hear independent news. That means that we don't have corporate sponsorship um, at all, not partial corporate sponsorship and partial independent. We are fully independent. That also means that we need the help of our listeners to stay on the air. And you can participate in that by donating money. If you haven't, now would be a very good time to do so. Uh, I have been in the position of listening to these pitches and thinking, well, you know, this is New York City. There are plenty of people listening. I don't need to be the one who gives. Please do be the one who gives because we need the money. We have very expensive rent with our antenna transmitter at Times Square every month. And so please donate to the independent if you can, any amount you can give helps. You can do so by calling 212 209 2950 or go online to give the number 2 WBAI.org. And again, you can call 212 209 2950 or go online to give the number 2 WBAI.org uh, to hear more. News and music, like the music that we just heard, which I didn't give you the name of. So I'm going to just let you know that song was Greetings by Hamzal Din. And, yeah, please call the station and give if you can. Right, John?
0: That's right. Uh, 212-209-2950 or give number two wba.org And when we say uh, the rent is uh, pretty darn high, we're uh, – it is New York City. A station has to pay seventeen thousand dollars a month to have the uh, transmitter and the antenna uh, set up at Four Times Square, beaming all across the five boroughs and out into the suburbs in the Hudson Valley, Long Island, New Jersey. Uh, it's a WBAI is a unique resource in that way, both with its uh, you know incredibly independent programming. All sorts of programming you wouldn't hear anywhere else on the radio dial, and that programming reaches far and wide. But we have to have that uh, antenna and that transmitter going. And unfortunately, the station uh, fell behind three months on its rent uh, by the end of 2022. So there's some ground to be made up with the help of our listeners who have been keeping this station on the air for now 63 years. So. You know, we've been through many struggles before on this station. Our listeners have always come through, and uh we need the, uh, you, the listener, uh, to help out again to keep our antenna and transmitter going on uh, four times square. There's also some office rent that needs to be paid. But, you know, what better time than the beginning of the new year to, you know, wipe the slate clean and, and get those, uh you know, back uh, debts out of the way.
1: And you can do so by calling the station at 212-209-2950. Again, slowly for anybody who's not picking up their phone and calling right now, that's 212-209-2950 or go online to give the number two, wbai.org. Imagine what your life would be missing if the station weren't on the air and please give and don't only give because it's urgent but give because it's good to give to something that you enjoy and something that is great you know the station is great the station has been around since 1960 the station is unique and anybody can tune in it's the radio so it doesn't matter you know uh basically of what income you're in as long as you can access a radio or you can hop online somehow you can listen to to this radio. Uh, we are commercial free. We're independent. Please call 212-209-2950 or go online to give the number to WBAI.org and help keep us on the air.
0: That's right. Just one more time. 212-209-2950. Uh, let them know how much you love the Independent News Hour. Uh, we're uh, delighted to be a part of the programming lineup at this station. that You hear throughout the week the the news and, and current events and public affairs shows, the cultural programming, the music. There's so much you get to listen to here on WBAI, including the independent news hour, but it takes listeners support to keep this going. 212-209-2950 or give number two WBAI.org. You can make a one-time donation or you can become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 per month and get some excellent benefits for doing so. The a BA buddies are, are the, in many ways, uh, the bedrock of the station that month to month support is really valuable when you're, you know, trying to plan a budget and you know so many, you know, tens of thousands of dollars are coming in. Uh, that's an enormous help. So if you can become a WBAI buddy today, 212-209-2950 or Give number two, WBAI.org. dot org. And, uh, Amba, that was, it was a really interesting listening to the interview with, uh, Kristen Gonzalez, especially thinking about the Hector LaSalle nomination, uh, and the future of the courts here in New York for the next decade. Uh, this, uh, ba- battle has not ended. Uh, Kathy Hochul has not uh, gotten the hint yet that, uh, you know, this is a massively unpopular choice with much of the base. Of the democratic party including uh, many labor unions reproductive uh, rights advocates uh, uh criminal justice advocates um it's it's uh you know really uh, an incredible situation but this is what she seems to want and and she wants to continue to fight it out and tomorrow uh wednesday uh, there will be the long-awaited uh judiciary committee hearing uh for hector lasalle um Hochul has pleaded for him to have the chance to, um, speak at the hearing. Um, and it feels like we're kind of importing the spectacle that we've seen in Washington DC over the last 20 or 30 years when conservative nominees come before a judiciary hearing and proclaim their impartiality and, uh, you know, their, uh, eagerness to do good and, and that they don't have, uh, you know, a right wing agenda. And, uh, I I have a feeling we're going to see, uh, and hear some more of that kind of, uh, um, gambit, uh, tomorrow. And also it's going to be, it's an interesting comparison, how much uh, has shifted so quickly over the last couple of years and how, in terms of how people perceive judges in the judiciary, uh, here in New York, uh, with everything that's happened with the US Supreme Court in the fall of Roe versus Wade uh the the last time uh, uh a conservative uh nominee came before this same judiciary committee in 2021 uh, uh, uh a prosecutor from Nassau County named Madeline Singas, uh who was nominated by Andrew Cuomo in his, the dying days of his administration uh her hearing lasted all of 83 minutes uh really only one member of the committee, Alessandra Biagi, uh, you know, posed any t- tough questions for her and, and she sailed through. And, um, anyway, now uh, LaSalle is getting a lot more scrutiny. People, I think, are finally waking up to the fact that, uh, the courts are not, uh, this neutral body that the law can be highly political and who it's wielded for and who it's wielded against is determined by the, the viewpoints and, uh, and the in the world view of the judges and hector lasalle would be the fourth former prosecutor to go uh, up on that uh high court uh and you know we've heard from Kristen about his various rulings over the years on choice and labor unions and whatnot so it's fascinating to see the uh pushback that's uh come with this and, and this weekend of course we heard hochel uh trying to compare hector lasalle to Martin Luther King, also uh, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, who leads the Democrats in Washington, he jumped into the fray and urged that the uh, Senate Democrats uh, allow LaSalle's nomination to come to the floor and, and thus make it possible for Republicans uh, in Albany to help get LaSalle over the finish line. Which is a pretty incredible situation. You have a Democratic supermajority in the in the Senate. And you have leading Democrats like Kathy Hochul and Hakeem Jeffries who essentially want to get this conservative judge in that high court position with the help of Republicans. And, and um, so it remains to be seen how this is all going to be played out Uh, uh under New York law. The vote is supposed to happen uh, within 30 days of the nomination, which would be next week. So this could come to a, a culmination very quickly. And there's still a lot of, uh, senators, including Democrats from New York City, who have not an announced their intentions. So we'll continue to follow this. And and also, uh, folks, uh, before the show runs out, we do hope to take a couple of calls at 212-209-2877. Again, that's uh, 212-209-2877. But uh, Amba, I know there's a couple of things you've been following that you want to mention.
1: Yeah, just some quick updates on the struggle to organize Amazon. Uh so, here in Staten Island on April 1st uh last year obviously, as many know, uh the Amazon Labor Union became the first to win a union election uh at uh at an Amazon warehouse in the United States. And uh when that happened, Amazon filed 25 objections uh um uh, objecting to the election results, as saying that they uh, weren't right, that weren't fair, and just just, uh, six days ago, that those, all of those objections were overruled by the National Labor Relations Board, which means that the union has officially been certified, uh, which unfortunately doesn't mean much as far as, uh, contract negotiations go per se. But what it does do is, give the union the ability to file for a bargaining order which would make the NLRB the National Labor Relations uh, Board basically force the company Amazon to come to the bargaining table with the understanding that they're never going to do so uh, and particularly not in good faith so they haven't there's been no negotiations toward a contract happening whatsoever at all Amazon was completely resisting so you know we can hope that the next step you know this step has been checked off that the next step is that the the board will 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 force amazon to to negotiate a contract uh with yep. the workers who would, would deserve this and uh, another quick quick update is that uh in Co- colorado springs warehouse uh this the news just came out this happened on december 27th a worker passed away uh Far too many workers pass away while on the job at Amazon, not necessarily because something happens on the job, but the fact is that people are dying while working, often of heart attacks and things like this. Uh, That's a litany of questions. Right. So what happened? So someone passed away and they, uh, and management just sort of cordoned off the, bo- the area with some boxes and, and workers and w- not, didn't tell any workers what happened. So workers are just working next to the, you know, the body of their, of their deceased coworker, um, in the name of productivity, which, you know, there's been many instances like this, uh, it, just in the past few months where it's just really horrendous violation of worker rights. Yeah, so if that's you for now
0: talk about putting profits over people um
1: it's beyond that at this point yeah it's crazy
0: yeah meanwhile amazon you know has a net worth well uh north of a trillion dollars so um and i believe we have a, a caller uh, who uh, who's on hold who can join us uh, uh wh- what's your name and where are you calling from hello uh, hi can you just speak up a little bit
2: hello
0: you hi you're on Uh, The Independent News Hour on WBAI.
2: Uh, What is your take on Hakeem Jeffries' uh, voting for this nomination? Where do you think he's coming from?
0: uh, Right. uh, That's a very good question. Uh, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, he can't vote on this nomination uh, since he's a a congressman in Washington, D.C., and this is a state matter, but he's obviously an incredibly influential politician in New York City, Who's trying to sway, uh, you know, some of his uh, fellow politicians who serve in Albany? Uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think uh, calling in favors, and she's trying to kind of save her governorship um, and and not lose this battle. But I think also Hakeem Jeffries—he uh, said something a couple of years ago that he would uh, quote never bend the knee to the hard left Democratic socialists and he's been a very uh, uh fierce uh, opponent of the progressive left wing of the Democratic Party over the last couple of years has raised uh, money for a lot of candidates uh who uh, are more to his liking and i think he sees this as a another struggle between the conservative and the progressive wing of the party the irony is Uh, At this point, he and Hochul don't want to bend the knee to, you know, reproductive rights advocates, to labor union leaders. Uh, This is much more than a handful of socialists uh, trying to stop this. But he sees it, I think, in that light that if an establishment figure like Kathy Hochul is defeated uh, by a grassroots coalition on this matter, it's a, a setback for the party establishment in new york of which he is a, a leading figure so he's sort of i think circling the wagons and urging other people in the party who feel the same way to join him
2: well it look like uh, he's the democratic uh, leader now uh, will be i think uh, people is, that are looking at him as being a very progressive person are in for a big surprise
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah when well, uh, i think uh I think you know he can, when he he wants to, he can say some very nice things. But his actions uh, often are not as progressive as, as his words. Is that is that your impression as well?
2: Yes, yes, please, yeah, for sure.
0: Right. Okay. Um,
2: okay. Thank you. W- uh, what is thank you for joining Michael us, Santos. Uh, the, uh, you think he'll resign? Uh,
0: say. Uh, <laughs> Uh, maybe at some point if, if, uh, you know, the prosecutors, uh, federal and state prosecutors, uh, really, uh, start to, uh, bear down on him. He, he certainly doesn't want to leave and he doesn't really have any shame. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think it may come down to some point where he, he may, if he's feeling like some real legal pressure and the possible jail time, he, you know, they may offer him a deal. Uh, to, to get out of there, that might be the only thing that, uh, pushes him out before, um, you know, his term is up.
2: Okay. okay thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Um, so I don't, uh, uh if you, if you still want to call and, 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 jump in here, we have a, a couple more minutes on the air. 212, uh, 209 2877. Uh, again, 212-209-2877 if you want to call and, and, and join us in the final minutes of the Independent uh, News Hour. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, Amba, I mean, what you're saying about uh, Amazon, yeah, it's just an epic struggle, you know, one step at a time to try to, uh, you know, win a union in in, in that corporation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you have some pretty fierce union busting going on um and it's sort of like this combo of union busting and flagrant worker rights violations while we're waiting for another caller uh, you know i'll just say that this this colorado springs incident and where you know a worker passed away and then coworkers were made to work next to you know his corpse um Brings to mind something that happened in November, uh, here in Staten Island at JFK 8, uh, worker went rogue, um, and, uh, don't know why, but grabbed some fire extinguishers, four fire extinguishers and some like metal poles that they sort of were able to like rip off some of the equipment in the warehouse and, and went around attacking other workers multiple workers were injured had to be taken away in ambulances and meanwhile like management is totally aware and not telling anybody making no announcements for people to stay safe you know just to keep working and um people were really upset about this so you know the list yeah, goes yeah
0: and they wonder why a lot of their workers w- want a union <laughs> yeah <laughs> if, you, if you don't want a union treat your workers a little better you might improve your odds but that kind of stuff is gonna rile people up um and um one last thought on that hakeem Jeffries call in new york when andrew cuomo was governor for much of his governorship uh he helped foment uh an alliance in the state senate where a number of democrats uh caucused with or allied with the republicans to thwart uh, the left wing of the party the democrats took out you know ousted the republicans in 2018 and the state senate went in a much more progressive direction since then in some ways it feels like Hokel's sort of trying to rebuild that alliance between uh so-called moderate democrats and republicans she seems to be struggling hakeem jeffries also seems to want to bring that alliance back you got to wonder why people like that uh, call themselves democrats and and then do these kind of things but um we're going to have to wrap up the uh, the show now, thanking, I thank our board operator, uh, Reggie Johnson. We'll be back um, uh, uh, next Monday, same time. And uh, Amba, what's our uh, final uh, song for the night?
1: We will be back next Tuesday, same time. And our final song is Thoughts in My Mind by Donnie and Joe Emerson featuring Alden.